Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert, helping people to think, speak, and act positively through the many and varied challenges of life. My guest today is Ron Finley, who I met at uh, the United Nations World Happiness Day celebration at the Rotary Club in Mississauga. Ron is an, electro- uh, is an electrical and acoustics engineer with a long-time side business, I might even say passion, of being a DJ for weddings and parties. In 1999, Ron and his associate Dennis co-wrote a 400-page book called How to Become a Mobile DJ, which became the textbook used in colleges across Canada. Then they developed a series of 13 practical how-to guides covering additional specific topics. Ron presents this information in seminars in Canada and the U.S. owing to his confidence behind a microphone and in front of an audience. For over 25 years, Ron has been a member of DJ Associations, is now a director of the Canadian Professional DJ Association and founding member of the Canadian Entertainment Standards Council. Welcome to the show today, Ron. Thank you, Tom. Nice to speak with you. And uh, and now, uh, as we're recording this, it is, uh, what, May the 8th, and we're right into a busy season for weddings. And so I know this is probably a crazy time of year for you. And so let's talk about your business because it's uh, not just the weddings, uh, obviously, that uh, you do, but I imagine it's a major part of uh, your business. So how did you get started in this uh, DJ business and and why did you get started? It sounds like it's somewhat of a big passion of yours. Oh, it, it's that. It all started back in 1980 I had graduated from university in electrical and acoustics engineering and I got to go to my first ever corporate Christmas party but as a guest and as now an employee having my first real job and the DJ was not getting people dancing the floor was empty so being a dancer because I have a previous history in ballroom dancing I went up and asked for a song that was actually in a movie soundtrack that was playing at the time so everybody would know the song so I went up and asked him if he could play this record, and he had the song. He took it out of his record box, and then he never played it. He just put it back in the box and kind of ignored us. And I thought, you know, we're here to dance. The floor is empty. It can't get worse. And we we could have lit that thing up, and he didn't care. So I was quite dejected, not because of the dancing, but just the fact that he didn't care. So two weeks later, I decided to start my own DJ business. I thought, surely to goodness, with my engineering background and my dance background, I could figure this out and do better than he did. And so that's 34 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and started as a somewhat of a like uh, discontent at seeing an unprofessional 
kind of ruin an event and that's not really what you want when you're planning a, a, a big event and so how does a person even plan start to plan a special event it could be a wedding could be a corporate banquet of some sort could be an association meeting um, how does one even start because often people who do these are not professional event planners well, that, that's a great question. And let me begin by saying how not to start. People start with a budget. And that sounds kind of strange. Well, why wouldn't you start with a budget? You have to know what you're spending. And my problem is that's all fine and well, but what if you don't know what things cost? You know, you can budget whatever you want for a, a luxury car, you know. But if you don't know what the car that you're looking at actually costs, you have no way of knowing that your budget is right. So I kind of take a different approach. And, and if we want to use a wedding as an example of an event, because it has so many elements, and frankly, it's the most complicated event you'll ever plan because there's so much emotion riding. You know, Christmas party is kind of easy compared to a wedding. But if we look at that, you know, I think that the, the real thing is to say, you know, yes, you have a budget, but I think the best advice is to let is for people to find out what things cost. You go to the banquet hall and you find out what dinner costs and what the room rental. And you go to a tuxedo shop and you talk to the limousine and you talk to all the vendors and get an idea of what things cost. Now, in my and, and because I'm also a wedding planner, and that evolved from the DJ business, by the way, I got sick and tired of showing up at weddings and finding, you know, I'd been pushed off into the corner to DJ from somewhere way over where no one could see me. Not because I'm the center of attention, the bride is, but I need to be accessible to the guests for requests and stuff. So I started taking a more active role in executing the plan for the day from an organizational perspective. So when I get there, it's the way it needs to be so that everything gets done that needs to get done. And so then I became a wedding planner. And so what I find is important is to lay out a plan where you understand what things cost, and then you can work out a budget and then you can pick the things that you can afford. Otherwise, you're on the risk of starting down a path of spending money. You book a hall. You think there's going to be 150 people. And before you know it, you can't even afford the event. That's a source of stress. That's not fair. Mm. Right, a major source of stress. And boy, and yet I like the way that you're thinking about it, uh, kind of bass backwards from what everyone else does is go out to the uh, vendors find out the costs and then build your budget around what you know the costs are from those vendors rather than trying to make the vendors fit into your budget well yeah and and a couple of things happen first of all i've created a spreadsheet that i use in my wedding planning service which is a very it's a two hour so you ready for this we actually can plan a wedding in two hours wow Two hours. And a lot of husbands do, or a lot of uh, uh, men are listening here because I hope so. uh, they, they know <laughs> well, the first it, it hour, seems to take their wife longer. Well, the thing is this. In the first hour, we spend the time to figure out what the budget could be. And then we tell you in the second hour, what is the order in which you need to hire the people? Because I think this is where, the, where you get the best bang for the buck. Because there's about 30 vendors that go into a wedding, 30 different companies or services. That's a lot to coordinate. And if you don't spend your money on the right thing in the right order, you simply run out of money. 
And the problem, there's, there's two problems. One is you either settle for a lesser service and don't even realize the impact. Or what could even be worse, believe it or not, is you hire a service and you chisel their price down to where they don't even want to be there. And now you have an attitude, because we're all human, that you have this, oh, man, I'm doing this really cheesy wedding or cheap wedding. I don't really want to be there. And then something better comes along. And then the client, the, the service provider subcontracts your wedding to someone else who's even cheaper because they <laughs> want to go do the high-end wedding that came in at the last minute. And I think that's a big mistake. You know, when people buy something cheap, you have to really ask not why is it cheap. I ask what's missing. And the cars are a great example. I use cars all the time. I used to work in the automotive industry. And if you're looking at a car that's 20000 another car that's 40000 you've got to ask, what am I not getting in the cheaper car? I mean, what's missing? What's that hole in the dashboard that doesn't have anything in it? You know, there's something missing. And you need to know what that is. Otherwise, you're stuck with the wrong car for 10 years, or in the case of a marriage, the wrong partner. <laughs> so I think it's very valuable to understand the cost that the vendor wants to charge for the service they're able to deliver and not cut corners when it matters the most. So I think the order of hiring the vendors is how you maintain what we call maximum impact. Nice impact, yeah, yeah. I use that word a lot. Nice. Now, uh, uh, when a person has a a budget, now they've gone to all the vendors and all that, uh, but they have a fixed budget. How do they go about allocating that budget uh, that they have? Well, that's that's where the spreadsheet does the magic. There are two costs associated with the wedding, two kinds of costs associated with any event. There's what we call fixed costs and variable costs, and this is really accounting 101. The fixed cost would be something, for example, um, the photographer. You're either going to have one or you're not. It doesn't matter to the, to the photographer a whole lot whether there's 50 people or 150 because he's shooting the bride and groom and their family. And, yeah, there's going to be a few shots of the guests and that. But by and large, the photographer's tying up a day to shoot your wedding, so it doesn't matter to him whether there's 50 people or 150. So that's a fixed cost. Same with the videographer. The limousine, to a degree, you're bringing the bridal party. I mean, that's it. It doesn't matter how many more guests because they're not in the limo. So the fixed costs are photography, videography. The DJ's a fixed cost to a, to a more or less a degree. I mean, there are... There are quantum leaps if you have a 200-person wedding or a 600-person wedding, and now you're talking bigger sound and stuff. But basically, the commitment of the day is the day is the day. But the variable costs, things like the number of dinners, 100 people or 150 or 200 people, that's a lot more dinners. More dinners, more tables, more tables, more centerpieces. So we break out the costs based on fixed versus variable. And now, to your point, if I have a fixed budget, maybe I just can't invite as many people as I might have liked to have invited because I've got to cover the fixed costs first. And our spreadsheet calculates all that for you in about two microseconds. (laughs) The neat thing is if you can't afford that bottom line number of like whatever the wedding is, that's not your wedding. And now is the time to chip away at things that have less value, less impact, maybe even altering the guest list 
until the final number you can afford and live with, or you can't afford to start down the the path of booking this wedding. Because you're going to book a hall based on 150 people, and then 100 show up. Well, now you've booked too big of a room. You've paid too much for the room. You may have guaranteed a certain price point on the dinner. You've ordered all these centerpieces, and you've got 10 banquet tables with nobody in them. Mm-hmm. So this is a real big, It's a, like you say, it's a different approach. We call it reverse engineering. But it's a different approach to taking the data and planning the wedding based on data, not emotion. Not that I'm not an emotional guy, because when you do the wedding, you got to be. But when it comes to planning, it's all about the numbers. And otherwise, you're getting yourself in big trouble. And then it's an emotional nightmare. Mm, that's what people are trying to avoid in a wedding or any big corporate event. And so let's stay away from nightmares. And so uh, to save costs, can yeah, <laughs> see this a lot. And you, you can tell when it happens that it shouldn't happen. But... Uh, can't people just hire a friend to DJ their wedding or plug in their iPod? Uh, uh, I've seen that, and I've seen how it doesn't work, but let's explain it to people. Okay, well, actually, the answer is, you know, can they, have, can they save costs by hiring a friend or plug in their iPod? Technically, they cannot even do that, and the reason is when you scroll down on iTunes or whatever music service and you click I agree, nobody ever reads all that garbledygook that they agreed to. <laughs> in Canada, in fact, anywhere in the world, technically, there are copyright laws regarding the use of recorded music. So, for example, if you go and buy a CD, you buy it at the store, so you own it. Now you put it on your computer, so now you have two copies. Then you put it on your iPod and you put it on your phone. And then you send it to your friend, and all of a sudden there's 20 copies of the same piece of music you only paid once. So that in itself is violating copyright law. And not that I want to get into a big legal beagle thing, but the technical matter is that the professional DJs have a license which allows us to transfer music onto a computer for the purposes of a public performance. People bringing their iPod do not have this. And banquet halls have an obligation and a right to stop people from violating the law on their premises, just like they have liquor laws for for kids under a certain age, right? So we want to be cognizant of that. But the other thing is that a friend of a friend is also a guest. They're a guest at the wedding, and they happen to be your friend, and they're DJing, and they're entitled to the bar. And now we run the risk that you have someone who's actually drinking who's running the music. (laughs) And when the alcohol starts talking on the microphone, we have a whole different problem, because that can get really awkward. But the other thing is that your music, my music, someone else's music, you may love what you have when you're driving in your car, and it's all great for you, but what about all your guests? How do you have all the range of music from the entire history of recorded music of every genre, whether you like it or not, to entertain your guests? And with an iPod, you can play a song, and then you play another song. You can't blend them. You can't mix them. You can't run a mic over top. And there's so much performance delivery timing, uh, servicing requests, knowing what to play, when to play it, all the specialty songs, first dance, father-daughter dance, groom and mother, bouquet and garter, all the specialty things that make it a wedding. The average friend of a friend doesn't know how to do any of this stuff. So all you have is what we call a push-play wedding, and that's just not good enough. And that's a shame. You know, that really is difficult to, to understand why, with all the money they spend, on a wedding, you know, a typical DJ costs about as much as one drink at the bar. 
per person. <laughs> and when you think about that, I mean, it's almost funny because if you figure 150 people, eight bucks for a drink, you're looking at $1,200. You know, $1,200 for a DJ. That's one drink. If something goes wrong, they're going to be at the bar having that drink anyway. So it's not about they're spending the money or not spending the money. It's what are they spending the money on? And I think that the DJ is a critical service because we actually run the wedding. The, the kitchen staff don't run the wedding. They do the dinner, and I know it's a big cost factor for the wedding. We know that from our spreadsheet. But they don't run the wedding. The bride can't run it, or maid of honor can't run it. Who's going to run the wedding? Who's going to make things happen? Who's going to announce stuff? That's what the DJ slash MC is supposed to do, and that's what we do. And I think it's just a more... Um, important service than some people tend to realize. Right, and I hadn't even thought about, yeah, after 8 or 9 o'clock and the guys had a few drinks and then uh, who knows what comes through a mic or who he hands a mic to. And you want these things to be run professionally. You want to enjoy yourself and your guests to enjoy themselves. But most, a lot of it is you don't want people embarrassed or silly things said that shouldn't be said just because whoever is behind the mic wasn't paying close attention. Well, there's that too. And the other thing that happens, Tom, is that you can't unring a bell. Once it's been said, once it's been heard, you can't fix it. You can't say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it. Like, you can't fix it. You know, I love in court cases, oh, jury, disregard that comment. How can you disregard <laughs> the comment? <laughs> You just heard it. <laughs> right, right. I, I don't know that. how you can disregard when you heard something. So I find that to be embarrassing. And we've seen so many cases over the 34 years I've done this where, uh, you know, I had a case where the father of the groom, the father of the groom got so drunk, he actually congratulated the wrong son. Oh, it was so everybody was like, oh, my God, it's this other son who's already been married for three years. I mean, he just completely was off his rocker. And it was a shame. I've had brides and grooms who got so drunk at their own wedding that they ended up in the bridal suite sick all night and they never even, weren't even at the reception. I think that's just such a sad thing. So we really recommend, believe it or not, to our clients for your wedding day, you should not drink alcohol. Just abstain. You can have ginger ale. It looks like you know, it looks like champagne, but it doesn't get you loopy. These shot glass things. We see all this, and you know, people like to drink. I under, well, I don't understand it because I don't drink, but I get the idea. But drinking to the point that you miss your own day—that's a real shame because then you don't even remember what you didn't even see. I think that's just a terrible loss. I, I really, I feel for brides and grooms who end up in that state. Right, right, exactly. And so, uh, like in any trade, this is almost like a trade, is there training for DJs to reach the level of professional development where they're dealing with professional event planners and, and really knowing their craft and their business and how to run a professional event? Actually, there is, and, and I'll tell you, you mentioned at the intro there, the book, the, the book that Dennis and I wrote became the textbook used across Canada because Dennis is such a mover and shaker um, in the industry. He's been doing, he, he actually invented the mobile DJ business in Canada by starting off playing records in the concession stands of a drive-in movie theater. 
<laughs> would come for popcorn and pop back in the 60s, and he'd be sitting there spinning records, and people would be moving and grooving for the whole intermission, and they'd spend more money at the concession stand. So that's what he. That's how it all started back in the early 60s. So anyway, Dennis got the federal government of Canada to recognize professional DJ as a legitimate trade, just like electrician and plumber. So it is a real business trade recognition point. And for that reason, a lot of the high-end DJ companies, and there's a few people that I've met, and Dennis and I, of course, create actual training programs where people who are at a level of experience where these new and upcoming kids are not our competition. Okay, I am not competing with DJs that are $300 because the client they service and the client I service are not the same client. Right. I am not even, and I am, and I, if anything, I'm competing with guys that are 1500 and up because those guys and I are after the same clientele. The little guys are not my competition, so we're not afraid to teach them because, frankly, the higher the bar raises, the better for us. You know, if you pull up to a gas station and there's three gas stations on each corner, or like one on each corner, and it's, and it's a dollar twelve a liter, it doesn't much matter where you buy gas because it's a buck twelve everywhere, right? But if one right. guy's ninety nine cents, everybody's lined up at his place. So right. we've got to, you know, the the narrower the price range the better it is, not only for the client to get more professional people coming up, but it also makes for that they're not shopping on price. And now the value comes out. But to answer your question, there is training available. And one of the things that the, a lot of the DJ associations, the Canadian Professional DJ Association that you mentioned, is, is always on the move to provide specified training. We have monthly meetings all across Canada in our chapters, and we try to bring in a guest speaker or a topic of interest so guys learn something. And even if they learn that they don't know what they don't know, they've learned something. And now they realize, i got to improve on this area or that area. But also the Canadian Entertainment Standards Council is being developed to try to put in place, just like the building code, for example, in construction industry, you know, or the electrical code so you wire a house safely. We're trying to put in the same kind of idea to put in place a standard of performance and for which people get certified, they get you know a certain number of stars or points or however it's going to work when we get it all polished out. But the idea is to say to a client, I have taken these training modules, I'm certified to this level of delivery, especially when it comes to things like lighting and rigging and trussing and stuff that's overhead where you have to have certified riggers to put it up because if it falls over, you clean out an audience <laughs> in no uncertain terms, make the ice storm look like it was small potatoes. So we've got to be safe. We're dealing yeah. with electricity. We're dealing with high-standing lighting systems and stuff that's overhead and big speakers. So you've got to have a fairly technical background. And, again, a friend of a friend won't have that. So I think it's a good point that you raised. Thank you. I think it's valuable for the, your listeners to realize that there's more to it than meets the eye, and it's what you don't see that actually matters the most, right? Right, and I hadn't even thought of being a able to handle electricity because yeah who knows all the things you have to plug into and all, all the yeah if something goes wrong how do you fix it uh, so so many things that people just think a guy shows up with his music well there's way more behind it before he got there uh, hopefully if you've hired the right person then just a guy shows up with his music 
Yeah, well, you know, and one of the big ones that we've run into is they have an outdoor garden ceremony. So you just run an extension cord out to the gazebo or wherever the property on a golf course, whatever, and you plug in. Well, if that cord is laying on wet grass and it's not rated for outdoor use, you could have the whole lawn electrified. I mean, there's a shocking experience. So, I mean, you have to know stuff. And if you don't know, you don't know, and you need to find out for a whole bunch of reasons. And that's, to me, a big issue. And, and of course, we carry insurance because you, a smart person would, but we've never had to use it. And I think that's the tribute to knowing what you're doing is you never make a claim. You know, you have car insurance. You've never had an accident. You're glad you're only paying insurance. Right. right. The idea is right. not to have an accident just because you have insurance. You don't crack up a car because you can get it insured. You don't want to have the accident. So, you know, we got to be smart about this, and clients need to know there's much, much more that goes into it. In fact, for us, when we prepare a wedding, and I'm going up to Sudbury, I'm going to tell you this one later, but I'm going to Sudbury right after this phone call because um, the DJ up there needs some help with an event because someone else just ended up in the hospital, which is so unfortunate, but I have to go up there and save this wedding. The point is, I'm leaving today. I don't have to be there tomorrow. But I'd rather go today and be there than go tomorrow and be stuck on the 400 in traffic because this is too important. So there's an entire day committed just to getting there. That's how important we take the responsibility. So, Right. The, sh- yeah, the show must go on. And that's right. If you're part of the show, you must go on. Well, I got 350 people that are waiting for what, for what we're going to do tomorrow, and it's the full day. It's the ceremony, the reception, 350 guests, and I got to be back Sunday for nine o'clock to play Mother's Day. So I'm <laughs> busy. <laughs> but when you're committed, maybe I should have been committed years ago. I don't know, Tom. But when you're committed, you're committed, and you got to go and and you got to hit the floor running. You know? Right, exactly, and it's uh, it's what Napoleon Hill talks about, and so many people. Uh, when you find your purpose and your passion, something that you could just talk to anyone about all the time, uh, then that is that is who you really want. If you're looking for a DJ, you don't want someone who does it as a part-time job. They think about it every once in a while. All they're there to do is make extra money. You want someone who knows that details and the ins and the outs and who's studied and who's been certified and who thinks about your event like for weeks coming up to your event and so I think that really exemplifies how you approach a business as opposed to someone who's like well I just make a few extra hundred bucks a month uh, DJing and obviously events that you DJ uh, will end up being way more professional than my, you know, next-door neighbor's brother who knows music. Well, that too. And and just to give you an example, a typical wedding would be from, say, 6 o'clock in the evening till 1. If you add this ceremony, so you're talking 7 to 10 hours. We spend 30 hours getting ready for a 10-hour day. That's how much creating and scripting and, and coming up with an agenda and all the introductions and all the background detail so that when we present, and it is a presentation, it's not just show up and play, it is a whole different thing. And, I, and here's to the way I, I tell my clients, a typical wedding has eight highlights. And a highlight at a wedding would be something like a grand entrance for the bride and groom when they come into the ballroom, their first dance, the bride and father dance, groom and mother dance, the bouquet and garter toss, their cake cutting, 
and their last dance. So those are eight highlights. Our weddings have up to 38 highlights. So you can just imagine the amount of emotional engagement. And I loved, by the way, when I met you, you used a phrase, I loved it, and I'm sorry, but I've been using it since. You said, and I tested this, by the way, and it worked immediately. You said to me at the Rotary event where I met you that you go for spontaneous human reaction. I thought that was the coolest phrase. So I started using that. I'll send you a buck. Uh, I started (laughs) using that, and I tried it out at an event that I was at where I got a two-minute speaking opportunity to present what I do. And I introduced a strategic piece of commentary, and then I stopped, and I just waited. And I got the whole room laughing their heads off exactly when I wanted them to. And they were astounded that, that you can say something and create this, as you call it, spontaneous human reaction. So we don't ask for applause. We don't say, okay, everybody, nice round of applause for the bride and groom. We don't say that. Amateurs say that. We have a different strategy, and what happens is people clap because they're emotionally connected to the moment, and that takes planning and scripting and eliminating all the crutch phrases. You know, everybody says, oh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. They get so sick of ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Everything starts off with at this time, at this time. Well, of course it's at this time, but with some other time, you wouldn't be doing it. it's, It's hilarious. It's hilarious, and when you write the script, you can do search and replace and look for crutch phrases, which leads me to a book I'm writing. I'll talk about that later. But I'll tell you, I've had a whirlwind summer, or spring, I guess you could, it's still spring, isn't it? Yeah, geez. Um, at putting together what is now becoming the next generation of me, because as you mentioned, yeah, it's passionate to do weddings. But there's going to come a time when that's not going to be feasible because I'm getting older. Not that I'm ever planning on quitting, but that's not my call. It's my client's call. They love experience, and I'm happy with that. But I'm morphing into another dimension of what my life's turning into, and I'm, I'm excited at what it involves. And so, But you're right. A person that's passionate at the nth degree where they spend more time by four times planning the event than they do at the event, that is not show up and push play. I right. want bride and groom to be a guest at their own wedding. Right, and you don't, you, you don't want anything said by yourself at the event that you just came up with off the top of your head. And this nope. is where the at-this-moment type people are. Yep. <laughs> I'm laughing because I would listen to that and think like, uh, yeah, what other moment are we talking about? And so sometimes ridiculous phrases that people keep repeating just because they haven't thought of what they're going to say before that exact moment. Exactly. And the problem you run the risk of is if your brain skips a beat, something wrong comes out. Right. <laughs> you know, and when you're busy, like I am, you know, you're doing weddings all the time. The last thing you want to do this week is introduce last week's bride and groom. You know, the, right. the, risk of, the risk of getting a name wrong, oh my gosh, how do you unring that bell? So it's very, I think, not to, not to suggest that we sit there and read it like a book. You have to deliver it naturally. That's another skill set. But we call it planned spontaneity. For us, it's planned. But for the guests, it appears spontaneous. And that right. delivery mechanism is very much a skill. 
which right. we actually teach. I remember Zig Ziglar talking about that, uh-huh. where he would plan for his talks and like every pause, every you might even insert an um on purpose, and everything was scripted ahead of times. You may think he's just thinking of it on the spot. Well, look at that Zig Ziglar quote. He's just came up with that one on the spot. No, he came up with it years or hours or weeks ago while he was planning for your event. Yep, and I think what's equally important is you try out the line and say, I'm having trouble saying this. This word is catching me. I'm tripping on the syllables. You change the word. Maybe you change the order. Maybe you reverse the whole sentence. You put in a little comma, which is a pregnant pause, so that people have time to digest it. You've got to figure out how. And the other thing, too, that comes into this is when you're speaking to you and me here live, that's one thing. But when you're on a microphone in a big room, there's a time that sound takes to travel. The people at the back, if you talk too quickly, by the time the sound gets there, even if it's going 620 miles an hour, which is 1,140 feet a second, it still takes milliseconds to get to the back of the room. And if you talk too fast for the room, we call it, then it's unintelligible. So there's a rate of delivery. So there's so much acoustics that comes in and speaker alignment and echo patterns, like all this stuff we engineer into the setup of the room. This is not set up and go. There's a lot more that goes into doing it well. And I think the interesting thing is people know a bad job when they see it. They don't always recognize a good job when they see it because it seems, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, but it's that way on purpose. There was a lot went into making it right. Lousy is easy. Lousy is really easy to detect. But how do you detect great when that seems the, the way it's supposed to be? And I think that complacency is where clients need an understanding of how much goes into why is it great and what's the risk. If you don't do all of these things, which flat tire do you want on your car? Which one of the four would you like to go flat? It really doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere. You got to. <laughs> so, you know, which piece missing could ruin your wedding? And I've got a list on when we consult with our clients. We have come up with 34 differentiating features of our service. 34. That's worth wow. going. Yeah, I was shocked. And you know what's even funnier is I created a policy manual for the company back in the mid-90s, and I wanted to share this with my wife for her business. And I said, you know, you should check some of these things I came up with years ago. And I'm thumbing through, showing her some things, and there's a list from 1995 of 34 differentiating features. And here we are in 2015. And I recreated that list from memory not even remembering that I'd had the thing done because this book's been filed away for years and I pulled it out one day and I was astounded that, A, there was that many now, but there was that many then. And, interestingly, they're not the same list of 34. So now I've got to figure out what the overlap are. Maybe there's 40. <laughs> there's a lot goes into it, like anything, Tom. Anything that you want to touch on has a lot of detail, and the devil is in the details. Exactly. Now, uh we haven't referred people to your website yet. That's my fault. Should have done that before oh, that'd now. Be great. And so let's uh, give them your website and then what area you serve because people from around the world will listen to the show, but uh, you serve people in uh, the area that we live. So t- give them your website and uh, tell them what area you, you cover. 
Okay, uh, thank you. The, I'll, I'll do the website three ways. The website is perpetualrhythms.com, and I'll spell that out because it's a long word. It's www.perpetualrhythms.com. So it's www.perpetualrhythms.com. Now, we normally service Ontario just because of driving and, and travel logistics, but my DJs have played all over the world. We've got DJs that have played on cruise ships and in and, and Europe, all over the planet. So if a client wants us, truly, truly wants us anywhere in the world, we will actually go there. But our core market, obviously, is Toronto and the GTA but like I said, I'm going to Sudbury this afternoon, which is my sixth trip to Sudbury. Been to North Bay twice, been to Kitchener, been to Peterborough, been to Hamilton. I've got a wedding in Niagara-on-the-Lake coming up. So we'll go anywhere we're welcome. I think that's really the kind of the funny thing. We will go anywhere where what we do is welcomed by the client because they want what we can deliver for them. Because nice. that's their day. It's their day. Uh that's their day and they don't get another day or a redo on the day and so oh my gosh tom you know one of the things that as an engineer i'm really big on is uh and i found this out i, I came to this realization i'd say a couple of years ago i look back and it goes all the way back to that first corporate christmas party the job I had at that time with that company was doing failure analysis. And what they figured out was every little component on a circuit board has a probability of point zero 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 whatever failure. But if there's bunches of them, you multiply the two numbers, and that's the likelihood that that circuit board is going to fail because of that kind of component. And it doesn't matter which one fails. If it fails, the board fails. So they had all these calculations of how much a part could fail, like what the rate, what the probability was, times right. the number of parts equals the likelihood that it'll fail for some reason, some way, or somehow. And then I went into a different industry for 13 years, then I went into automotive for 18 years. And one day I woke up and went, you know, I have been doing failure analysis for my entire career in one form or another, looking at how can something fail and what can you do about it? And can you do it before it fails, as in predictive or preventative? Which then when I started my DJ business, and I didn't understand this, I went out and I bought an amplifier and speakers and all this stuff back in the, when I began. But then I quickly went out and bought another amplifier and another microphone and another set of headphones because I thought, well, if this breaks, I'm screwed. So I might <laughs> as well buy and bring two of everything kind of like Noah's Ark. And, and funny enough, most DJs do not bring backup equipment with them. They either call someone or they have someone on standby, and by the time that person gets to the event, the event's ruined. Talk about line up for the bar for that one drink. Mm. It's more than the DJ cost. I mean, you think about it. At, at $8 a drink, 150 people, that's $1,200 for one round. And if a DJ doesn't get it fixed, that's going to be the first round. <laughs> this can get it right. So I bring enough equipment to run two events at the same time in two different rooms. And I've done it twice when the other DJ didn't even show up to the client's event. That's scary. <laughs> that's scary. That is sad. 
And, wow. and and I think it's terrible that, you know, you hire someone under all good circumstances, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you hired them and it's cash and there's no contract and, you know, right. well, no contract means no obligation. And that's a real scare. I mean, people need to be aware that when you don't have all the pieces in place, one of them can bite you. And one of the 34 differentiating features, and not everybody has none of them. I'm going to say that I'm the only one, but a lot of DJ companies have most of them or some of them or fewer of them. (laughs) It's which one don't they have. And I think a lot of people try to get the cash deal or, you know, the lower price and they don't want to pay tax, which is wrong and all that jazz. And they don't have a contract. So now they have nothing in writing. And the, cl- and the company has nothing in writing, so then it gets forgotten. And then they go, oh, my gosh, we have a wedding today. I completely forgot about that thing. <laughs> and they're off doing some other event, and the client ends up unserviced. And that's, that's wrong. But that's what happens when you take a chance, right, is you run a risk. And the risk could be, as you say, you don't get a second chance to do your wedding. You don't get a redo. Let's do it on Sunday. What the heck? We're all dressed up. Right, right, right. The yesterday's went off really poorly, so yeah, let's, let's do try one this today. again. It's not a movie set. We can't do take two. Right. Dad. <laughs> right. Dad, today you don't say that, Dad. And Mom, tomorrow you don't say that, what you said yesterday either. No, nope. people don't have a reset button. You know, they got a belly button, but no reset button. No reset button. Nice. (laughs) All right. So uh, we have directed people to perpetualrhythms.com. And yes, you may be listening to this in Tuktoyaktuk or some other place. But uh, if you want Ron, the best way is if you live in the Toronto area. We'll even say the Ontario area. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, On Toronto, easier. Ontario. So if you're committed to your event, to it being a professional event with no, oh, I wish he hadn't said that moments, or I wish he had remembered that part moments, uh, make sure to give Ron a call. Perpetualrhythms.com is where you'll find him and his contact information. Uh, But I really love the way you're thinking about reverse engineering the event and getting professional people in the end it's not the price that matters it's the cost the cost of your event if it comes off poorly or people talk badly about parts of it um, that's worth way more money uh, to you and bad publicity than you would have paid to have it done professionally and it also reflects on the vendors I mean if the and I'll tell you something you know we do work the way we go about it we tell the photographer what's going to happen they get to take a better photograph because they know what's going to happen when I say this let me give them the rundown you've got seven seconds to get into a better position to take the picture when they hear that sentence start they're on the move. And I've seen them run across to the other side of the ballroom because the way the bride and groom are facing, they need to be over there, not here. And they come up and go, man, that's so cool. Thank you. We got the most amazing shot. The tear was right on the peak of her cheek. And it's like, yeah, if I hadn't have told you, you'd have got the back of her head. Right. So nice. we think there's an element of contribution to the overall planning of the event. And the other thing people don't realize, you know, what does it cost a guest to attend your wedding? I mean, they may have to take a half day off work, buy a new dress, get the hair done, the nails, get a babysitter, take a cab. They get all gussied up. They buy a wedding gift. They get a shower gift. Your guests spend, I think last year the average was $278 per person to attend your wedding. 
you're now spending a hundred dollars a plate with tax and gratuity, 130 centerpieces are 10.59 each per person. Ten dollars and fifty-nine cents per person is the average price of a centerpiece, and then they spend three bucks on the DJ. This is where it kills me. But the point is, you're, you spend something around two hundred and fifty dollars to invite them, and they spend two hundred and seventy-eight to be there. That's over five hundred dollars per person. How can any DJ service be too expensive? Any, because at that level, if that's the glue that holds it together. Any DJ service is affordable. It's whether you want better in terms of the emotional impact or not. Because if your guests leave upset that they just spent $278 to be there and they're home at 10 o'clock and they still got to pay me the babysitter till 2, <laughs> they're ripped off. They feel cheated. And that's not a good relationship with 150 of your closest friends former friends <laughs> and nice where, you know the ramifications of a, of a bad event experience uh you know i can't echo that too loudly and when it comes to annual things fundraisers corporate events if this year doesn't work there won't be a next year because no one's going they're gonna oh no last year sucked we're not going i'm not spending money this year i'm not gonna go this year well now you have a real tough time raising funds for a charity or some other, you know, worth cause. Nice. Thanks so, so much for being on the show today, Ron. I appreciate it so much. And uh, wow, so much for people to consider, but a lot of valuable information in there. Have yourself an amazing day, Ron. I appreciate great. your time. Okay, thanks very much, Tom. Be Take well. care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.